Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Let's go. Welcome to Citizen. Today we have a very special guest, Baker Levitt. Baker Black Levitt, excuse me. I don't yeah. make sure I say your whole name there. Three um, last names. Yeah, what's up with that? Okay, so Baker is my first name. Black is my middle name. Levitt is my last name. Levitt was obviously my father's last name. Mm-hmm. Black was my mother's last name, and Baker is a family last name. It's a Southern thing. Like, you'll see a lot of Southerners, um, specific, specifically those in fraternities, uh, with strange first names. And it is most likely a Southern last name where that lineage of that name was going to go away because, let's say, someone had, you know, God was born, had no brothers. Mm-hmm. And only had daughters, and then the family last name was going to go away, so they the daughter will take it and throw it on the first name of a child. Makes sense. Keep the name alive. People care about that mm-hmm. sort of stuff, I guess. Not um, anymore. I think back in the day they did, but yeah. like I don't think anyone cares anymore. I certainly don't. Not me either. I just like uh, my first name. Yeah. Um, I think it's uh, – the reason I, I wanted you to come on the show is because you're one of the more – uh, you're somewhat, there aren't a whole lot of people like me. I don't think out there, people that are really calm and reasonable and rational, no matter what the situation is. Um, and you've always been like that for whatever Ex- reason. Externally. Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, like I can't sleep at night, but no, when I, when I'm not. dealing with problems during the day, I like everybody else is freaking out and I'm like, settle down. Uh, it's, you know, I think uh, we've been captured by tribalism a lot. And I don't know if it's just human nature but or if it's government and everything surrounding it has grown so large that it seems like uh, the average person has no sense of what their ability to operate within that system is anymore, what their rights and responsibilities are. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it feels overwhelming. I think a lot of people just choose to either tune out or yell at each other. And then also you mentioned tribalism and I think it's tribalism. Um, you can, in my opinion, can be viewed as, is kind of like the cliff notes in life. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of stereotypes, you know, that exist for a reason. Like they didn't just come out of thin air. Sure. And I think people choose tribalism because it's like, okay, well, I can focus on this group of people because I'm like, we have a lot of, you know, similar hobbies or similar interests or similar viewpoints. And if I just take my marching orders from whatever tribe I attach to, I don't have to do my own research. I don't have Mm. to read, you know, arguments and documents and articles. And I can just, 
and I, I think historically tribalism made a ton of sense, but now what it does is it generates a bunch of sock puppets. Mm. So if you look at people like uh, Upton Sinclair wrote the jungle in 1912, which was about the Chicago meatpacking industry. Mm -hmm. And it was basically the start of unions, which were fantastic. I mean, if you, for those listening, you think it's bad here in this country now, because what you're seeing on social media, go read Upton Sinclair's The Jungle, and you will see some yeah. crazy, crazy shit. Uh, about how like management would hire literal mob members to come and force people to work, about how there was no weekend, no 40-hour limit to work, and all this other stuff. That all came out of the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Uh, predatory lending. Yep. I mean, <laughs> and that, that, that song, I, I spent my... Uh, I spent my money at the company store. Remember that? Yeah, that, that yeah, yeah. I, I've tried to explain this to people on the show before. Um, <clears throat> basically, some of these companies, like the textile mills and some of the other production facilities, would would pay their employees in currency uh, some U.S. dollars and then some currency that they could only spend at the company store. You know what yeah, I mean? It, it's like vertical like, integration. Yeah. Yeah. And they also, they took it a step further. They would, they would build little houses, little, you know, it's called a shotgun shack. Um, and they would owner finance that. So you literally, yeah. your entire life, you're in debt to the company you worked for. It's this indentured servitude with more steps. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in, in a different decade, in a different mm -hmm. sense. Um, but a lot of people will attach to a tribe. Uh, it just makes their life easier and they take their marching orders, you know, and it's a leadership thing. Um, everybody wants to work for generally speaking, everyone wants to work for someone. They want to have a cause to support mm. and they need someone to look up to that has achieved things that they haven't achieved. Um, and that's kind of where we are today, man. Like, uh, just tribalism. That's it. Yeah. I mean, it's, and I, I like you said, it's, the, there was a time when it was super useful. I think it's still super useful. I just think we've, uh, I, I think we've gotten to the point now where we're lazy about it. Like we, the smarter we get and the bigger society gets, the more we should pay attention to things like that. Like we get caught in this trap of trying to identify what our best and worst attributes are. Like, well, I'm really this or I'm really that. So I have to do this. I think that's a false problem. I think what we should do instead is identify <clears throat> what our strongest attributes are. Like I'm very intense or, uh, uh, I, I have OCD or whatever the case is, and then find a way to use that strength for good instead of trying to, you know, ignore our strengths and rely on good things just because society says that there are good traits rather than just because society thinks they're good. I think it's a lot better if we mold our strong attributes and find places where they can be leveraged for good. And in and the same way, tribalism isn't necessarily a bad thing if you can define your tribe in a very specific way, right? Like I, yeah. I want people who are loyal and honest and care about their, the, the things around them, their, the environment, their community, shit like that. And I, I think that also um, as long as your tribe is doing good things, mm. you know, as opposed to uh, gaslighting. I think like one of my – I learned this a long time ago back when I was in real estate, a gentleman by the name of Robbie Callen taught me this and he said everyone needs to leave the closing table um feeling good about the deal mm. and no matter what has happened you don't burn bridges because at some point in your career you're going to have to work with that person again 
And so I took that message and I was like, God, I was in my late twenties, um, doing some actually really big real estate deals in Savannah, Georgia. And, um, I, I applied that to like every aspect of, of what I did. And I still do to this day, but I've taken it a step further. And what I try to do is put myself in every single person's shoes when I'm doing something or working towards something or have a task at hand or having to work with another company or, you know, business development or whatever. And, um, so if I say this, how are they going to react? And Mm -hmm. I I think that, you know, I I tell people like, Hey, let's look into the crystal ball. And if you take a little bit of time and put yourself in other people's shoes, the answers tend to come to the surface, like really, really quickly, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and a lot of people today, what they're trying to do is, score points, you know? So like, I don't just want to prove this person wrong. I want to humiliate them. Dance on their grave. Yeah. Yeah. I I want, I want to, I want to piss on their grave. Mm. I want to humiliate them and I want them to never, ever question anything I say again. And that's, that's a horrible, horrible way to approach things like to humiliate someone or make a mockery of them. Cause here's the deal, man. And especially in business, you humiliate someone, they are never, ever, ever going to forget that. Like I have mm-hmm. a running list of people in my head that have done things or said things to me that I just I will not ever forget. And it, it will impact. And it's, it's even people that I work with in different you know brands and companies I work for. Like there are people that like I have an opinion of them and it's based on how they behaved and how they carried themselves at times. Um, and it just it's not going away, you know, so. Like I was having a, a debate with my cousin Lizzie. I'm not cousin uh, Lizzie. My cousin Katie the other day about Roe v. Wade. She lives in New York City, mm-hmm. um, and you know, uh, just this might sound douchey. I don't mean it to, but like my I was raised. We all went to private school our whole lives. High school was you know private school. College was paid for. We got cars when we turned 16. You know, we had a beach house. We had a farm. Like is it it you know pretty lucky, wonderful childhood, and and some of my cousins <clears throat> fly the biggest outrage flag. And I made a post the other day talking about um, if you are angry and furious all the time, you know, it's hard for people to take, take you seriously. And some of these people need to cry, need to learn, you know, like a read a boy who cried wolf, the boy mm. who cried wolf. And she and I were talking, going back and forth. And she was talking about a friend that, you know, these new laws will have had an impact on her decision-making. And there was like a 10 day waiting period in Georgia mm-hmm. for someone to get an abortion. And rather than, you know, Oh, you poor thing. I feel so bad for you, blah, 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 blah. You know, or talk about her generation and how they want instantaneous gratification. I was like, Hey, I can't even get in to see my primary care physician in 10 days. Right. Yeah, you know? Yeah. So I was giving her another perspective when I, when I could have tried to humiliate her and make her feel stupid and you sure. know, like a late 20 year old. And that's just that that wouldn't have accomplished anything because what happens is when you start to argue and fight with people, they tend to shut down and you are never, ever going to convince someone to change their opinion, much less listen to yours. If all you're doing is insulting them and hurling names and talking shit and relying on ad hominem attacks. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, it, it, it defeats the purpose of, of having a decent conversation with someone. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think the more contentious, uh, the conversation is, or might become the more appropriate it is for people to, for you specifically to try to find what you agree on first and use that as a building block. Otherwise, yeah, it's just two people shouting down a hallway at each other. You know what I mean? There's, yeah. there's, that's not communicating. 
and 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 or, and the the silly part about it is like you're fighting with someone or screaming at them or whatever, and you probably agree on ninety percent of that. Yeah. yeah, you know. And there's ten percent that like you you don't see eye to eye on. Like I'm a forty five year old male, Katie's a twenty eight year old female. Mm. Like most of the stuff we agree on, but like this one thing, and, and you know, and I ended the conversation. I was like, you know, just so you know, like I am I am very much pro choice, um, but you know, like just try to put yourself in other people's shoes. And I think that if you do that, it'll take you pretty good ways. And you also, you never know like what's going on in someone's world, you know, Mm -hmm. like someone could just be having a bad day or they might've lost their job or their wife or their husband's giving them shit or their kid's sick or their kid's being an asshole in school or the IRS sent them a certified letter. You just, you don't ever know what's going on in someone's world, you know? So I think when you, when you can understand like, Here's what we're dealing with. Most people just focus on that one thing. Like, here's the problem. Okay, well, I want to know what is the genesis of the problem, like upstream, downstream. Normally, mm-hmm. if we have, a, if we have a, a, a pond that people are drinking water out of and they're getting sick, okay, well, yeah, we know the, the pond probably has a bunch of bacteria and stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Or it's just it's unpotable. But why? Oh, there's a goat herder up, upstream taking a shit and letting his goats pee and shit in the water. And it's putting back – so you, I think – don't just identify the problem, find the cause of it, where it started. And then ultimately like, what's the end goal? Like, and that that's, you know, and remove emotion. God almighty, remove emotion. Sure. For many, no decision-making process should involve any emotion, no response to a problem. No solution should involve any emotion. Well, yeah, I mean, it, that's, it immediately corrupts the process, right? So when, when you respond emotionally to something, you're responding irrationally and, uh, and only from your own perspective. Those are the two hallmarks of responding emotionally. One, it's irrational, and two, you're only thinking about your own perspective. And you, it's because that that flush of emotion gives you t- like tunnel vision. You know what I mean? It's yeah. it's almost like the emotional version of fight or flight. You know what I mean? So you just get immediately defensive, and you can't hear anything after that. And and yeah, the, you can't. Yeah, yeah, basically. And, and the and the the even worse than you not being able to hear anything. That other person that you're talking to can't hear anything you're saying either. Right. So what would I mean? I guess you can get likes on Twitter, but you're not actually accomplishing anything. Um, That's funny you mentioned that. Um, so we can talk about social media for a second here, and like businesses and how they use social media. So like, if you look at like Gen One, uh, Web One, Web Two, Web Three. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that have they they to the legacy media approach and the vanity metrics, which is, mm-hmm. oh man, she gets a lot of likes, you know, uh, this many likes, and you know, there's a lot of comments and all that stuff. But it's like, <clears throat> well, if that's the case, all we need to do is just post chicks in half naked bikini shots, and um, that'll get the most likes. Or we could just take the money and light it on fire and put it on a YouTube video. People <laughs> would watch Money Burn. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, it's got to be, it needs to be the right type of likes, the right type of message and the right type of person. Because I was talking to someone not an hour ago and like there's certain people that I see on social media promoting certain types of brands that I won't ever do business with that company if they have some clown promoting their product. Right. Specifically like in the supplementation world, like you'll see some chick in a bikini 
or like showing her ass in spandex promoting a supplement. I guarantee you one thing. I will never, ever use that supplement as mm. long as I live because it, it, you can turn people off from that, you know, yeah. which kind of goes back to problem solving. Well, you know, we've got three different solutions. I think all three work. Okay. Let's look at those three solutions and how do they affect people? Is it going to piss anybody off? Is it, mm. you know, yeah, we're solving this problem. Them, but is it solving a long-term problem or is it just a band-aid? You know, like it's a temporary solution. We have more shit coming downstream here. Mm. So I think taking a 360 degree approach to like problem solving and viewing everything and like first, second, third order effects, man, it's important. Most people don't do that. No, unfortunately they don't. I think uh, again, people are captured by tribalism and they're also captured by the moment right now and uh, social media and media in general, as sensationalized as everything is, it's not, it's just, you know, kind of the, I have some questions about it. I think it's uh, about about motivations and things like that. Like I was uh, talking to somebody on Twitter the other day and uh, the guy asked me um, or he said that he thinks that the way the media delivers it, its messaging has changed. And it kind of is parallel, especially on Twitter the outrage algorithm, if you want to call it that, right? Just call uh, it the outrage Olympics. Yeah. What, what did the CNN producer call it? Uh, if it bleeds, it leads. Yeah. Uh, something like that. I think it's, and people have a lot of conspiracy theories about, you know, bad actors in the background, giving people orders. I'm not sure if it's some sinister force telling media what to say, or they simp- they could be doing exactly what Twitter's doing, which is using our data to prey on our weaknesses. I mean, it's entirely possible. We tell them what, how to trick us every single time we freak out about something instead of calmly talking to each other about it. Like, you know, so, it's, it's, it's it, Hanlon's razor, right? Like you don't have to assume that there's some deep dark force behind the curtain somewhere. We're just giving them all the fuel they'll ever need to set us on fire. So what happened back in the day was, can you hear that drilling in the background? A little, it's fine. Okay, so they're replacing the uh, the computer for our sprinkler system. Mm. Um, so uh, I'm 45. I was born in 1975. So when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, you had the morning news, the evening news, the nightly news, and then you went to bed, and then you had the, you had the newspaper. Mm-hmm. Okay, there was no internet. Editorial rooms did not have to be profitable because there was no way for an editorial room to be, to make any money. So the only thing they cared about was the truth. All right. And reporting facts, money was generated through commercials. Money was generated through ad sales and magazines and newspapers today. When's the last time you looked at a newspaper? Probably been a while. Yeah. Dude, I sat on a flight uh, coming back from New York on Tuesday, and there was an older Delta pilot sitting beside me reading a newspaper. And I thought, holy shit, like how outdated is that information? Mm-hmm. Um, but you fast forward to, to the uh, invention of the internet and advertising on the internet. And what you have is now your, your, your newspapers are all out of business. There aren't any newspapers anymore. No one gets a newspaper. I don't, I've seen one in probably the past decade, but now your editorial room is the only way for a newspaper to make money. So you remember the national Enquirer mm-hmm. when we were kids, it was at every checkout 
aisle and the most outrageous shit on the headlines, like Tom Hanks abducted by aliens. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like people would pick it up and buy it. And that's now where we are with the internet and media as a whole. It's sensationalism. And that's how clicks sell. And I read, God, dude, this must have been 15 years ago or so. I read a, a, an article that said, if you have a financial newsletter and you want to double your subscriptions, you predict a crash in the market, mm. in the stock market. Your your subscribers, your subscriber base will double. And that's where we are today as a country with, you know, it, it's not who's right, it's who's first. Mm. And, you know, Denzel Washington said it best. He goes, you get good at anything if you practice enough, and that includes the bullshit. Mm. So that's where we are with our media today. They don't give a shit about the truth. They don't care about the truth. They just want sensationalism because that's what sells. Right. And it's, I think it's really important not to fall into that trap uh, because it leads, it ultimately only leads to divisiveness. I think that's the, they're, they're trying to prey on the natural human instinct to be tribalistic, but perspective is really important. Uh, what looks wrong to you because of your current level of comfort or success might feel completely necessary to someone without that level of comfort and success. Um, you can say, what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. Uh, but we've all done what we've had to quote unquote at some point in our lives. I think the solution to that isn't to allow, it certainly isn't to listen to these people and allow ourselves to, to become divided. It's to understand that concept, <clears throat> try to understand people and where they're coming from, understand there's a fine line between what's right and trying to survive and get in there and help them solve their problems before the government shows up and ruins everything for everybody. I think that's the ultimate. And that's what this show is all about. It's about being a citizen, right? The things that you can do personally to make your life and your family's life better and how you can export that to make sure that everybody in this country and everybody in the world, if we can get there, is taken care of without the influence or incursion from bad actors that are power hungry. I, I think that's a really important thing that we need to start doing. So, like, I agree with you 100%. One of the things that, like, I've done, I've always done in my career, um, and I've had some tremendous success in, in my professional life, um, I've never done anything for money. I've never, money has never been a motivating factor for me. Like, if I do this, I'm going to make this. And if I do these things, I'm going to get this stuff. It's always been, for me, it's been, it's just it's very binary. It's like, this is the right decision. And if I do this, this will be the outcome. And I do a ton of stuff for people and companies where there's nothing in it for me. I would say I do more stuff for people and companies where there's nothing involved, nothing in it for me than people and companies I consult for. Um, and that's, that's to me is the most rewarding thing. It's like, Oh, you're doing, you, you guys, you guys need to talk to these guys. Like you guys got to get together. There's something here. Whereas some people, they're always trying to broker a deal. You know, I'm just trying to make a, a good positive impact and a really good in introduction. I don't ever try to broker deals, you know, where a lot of people, well, what's in it for me and I got to get paid and this and that. It's like, if, if you do, if you put good stuff out there in the, in the universe, it's going to come back to you. And mm -hmm. if you help people and you have conversations with people, like you just see someone at gas, holding the door for somebody, yep. things like that. Like when you finish pumping gas, Okay. Go park your car in a parking spot. Then go if you don't. If you need to go in to go to the bathroom or buy something from the store, don't fill your tank up and then go inside right. and sit in there for ten minutes. No, like just little tiny things, man. Like if you if you it's there's a book called Servant Leadership, 
um, and I recommend anyone listening to read it. It's a super easy read. It's not very long. Um, if, if you do things for others and just do the right thing, mm. one, it's super easy doing the right thing because it's obvious. Two, it feels good. And three, it'll always come back. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, I would rather people you know, be like, oh, yeah, Baker is a good dude. Like, you need something, you need you – know, call, call, call this guy and ask him. He'll help you out. Like, just kind of always – like, it's like my guiding – principle like do the right thing yeah. do right by others and things will come good things will happen to you yeah i think uh i i like to say don't don't let your convenience inconvenience other people right because there there's a when enough people behave that way there's a breaking point where all the society collapses you know what i mean like right. if everybody's in it for themselves that that was the great discovery of of John Nash and the Nash equilibrium theory is that before him, most economists believe that if every individual entity, whether it's a company or a country or, or different economies, even inside a country worked to towards their own best interest, everybody's best interest would eventually be fulfilled. And what Nash discovered, uh, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, was that cooperation between entities is is extremely important for everyone in the aggregate to do well. Like there, there's some, I I don't have, I don't understand the full mathematical background, but to paraphrase, if you you may remember it from that movie, a beautiful mind, they tried to capture it with the five of those dudes trying to, or four of those dudes trying to uh, hook up with four girls in a bar or something like that. And they all went after the most attractive one first and the other ones, didn't really care to be second fiddle, right? So it didn't work out for anybody really. Um, they all they all kind of cock blocked each other, and then you know the more reasonable choices weren't available to them after that fact. So I think a better example would be um, in your previous job. How many U.S. soldiers and allies died, and how many assholes got away because our intelligence organizations and different branches of the military would not communicate with each other. I mean, we wouldn't have been in the wars in the first place if they had been communicating with each other because Bin Laden right. would have been killed in 1996. Yeah. Uh, we would have Billy seen, Wong. yeah. Billy Walker to roll him up a few yep. times at a red light in, yep. in, in, uh, in Yemen. I mean, it wouldn't have been hard, mm-hmm. but like if you look at communication and doing things for the better good. So like uh, we had a, we were, it was me and Evan and Paul Bork were in at SHOT Show. Uh, this was four years ago. And Paul was pitching Evan on this concept. And I think I've said it to you before. He was pitching Evan on this concept called fishing for coffee. And um, Evan's like, oh, my God, that's great. This is fantastic. And then three years go by, and Richard Ryan and I were sitting in – Salt Lake City. We were going to go skiing the next day in Park City, and Evan comes in, and he's giddy. He's bouncing up and down and jumping up and down. He's like, "I've got this great idea," and he like, "What is it?" He's like, "It's called fishing for coffee." And he goes over it, and I was like, "That's brilliant. I've never heard that. Like, what a great idea!" And um, Richard was like, "Oh, that's wonderful." And like, we get in the car, and like, we're driving off. I was like, "Yeah, that was Paul Bork's idea three years ago." <laughs> and I called Paul, and I told him he was like, he was pissed. And I was like, "Hey, dude, listen, like." you can get credit or you can accomplish the mission. Like right. you can get credit or you can get your project done. 
which one's more important to you. Mm. And I think a lot of people, if you folk, if you get rid of like, there have been so, so many times in my career where I did not get credit for things that were mine or my idea or my concept or whatever. Um, and it always works out for me. I've never been fired from a company. I've never been let go. Like I've, I'm, I'm still here, you know, after all these years, in spite of all my faults, but a lot of the people that take credit for things that aren't theirs, they don't really last that long. And I think as a society, we've gotten into this whole thing with like instantaneous gratification and me, 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 and that mindset. And like that yeah, now, now, now it's the long game. And like mm. that comes with age. Like, it has taken me taken me decades to figure that shit out. And like, if you just let things play out and you're just patient, they always work themselves out in the end versus like people raising a hallelujah. Dude, Evan was so excited about this idea. Like he was literally <laughs> bouncing. I've never seen him. He's jumping up and down. Mm-hmm. I, like, I think that's a great idea, Evan. I've not, never, where did, where did you come up with that? <laughs> wow. That's fantastic. You, you know, you, I remember that, uh, I told you one time, I said, just because it's a bad idea today doesn't mean it's not a, it's going to, it's going to, it'll be a bad idea in six months. Right. Yeah. You know? And a lot of people just don't realize that you just have to chill the F out and just wait on some stuff. Yeah. The I other part, the other part of that is that the second and third order effects of what, what you're describing is pride of authorship. That's what that's called. And, mm-hmm. you know, not the worst thing to be proud of your work, but the, the pathological version of pride of authorship has uh, it's super harmful to the process right because one it gives you tunnel vision two uh it uh uh you you lose the ability to be objective about the idea because it's yours i mean it's almost better to pretend if even if you come up with a great idea sometimes just put it out into the world and crowdsource it a little bit let them work on it and refine it and it becomes a better idea than it would have been in the first place right um like Evan sitting at the intersection of so much marketing and charity and also entrepreneurial creativity is, is probably in a better position than Paul was to make this a reality. You know what I mean? Like you have to, you have to understand that. And, and is it again, like you said, is it about the mission or is it about you? And I think, um, but but also timing, dude, timing is everything in business and in life. Like a lot of people will say luck and what's the saying? Like luck is the byproduct of hard work. And what's the other one? It's hard work and uh preparation and uh, preparation and yeah. hard work. Something yeah. like that. It's an luck, intersection. Luck, yeah. Luck's the intersection of uh, hard work uh, and opportunity. Hard, hard work and opportunity. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Or preparation um, opportunity either way. Yeah. But, uh, and like, and also it's timing, like, you know, three, four years ago, you know, was black rifle in a position to do that versus, and you know, ultimately like it, it will come to the surface like, Oh yeah. You know, like, well, Paul, I was like, well, who's going to produce it and film it? Yeah. You are. Yeah. So You know what I mean? Like you're the fish. It was guy. your idea. <laughs> yeah. You know? Right. Um, but it's funny like that, you know, that you see that a lot in, uh, and, and the, the bigger, and I think a lot of people just want credit or notoriety. And like one of the things, like my guiding principle, one of my guiding principles, and I probably got 10, I don't know what they are, but this one is one, like I would rather create the news than be the news. Mm. I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a personality. I don't want to be, you know, Insta famous, none of that stuff. Like I, I've, you know, if I wanted to be in the internet famous, I've been in black rifle for six years. I would be, it would yeah. be very easy. Yeah, I want to be in some content. I want to be in some, you know, this and that videos and, and whatnot. But, um, 
that's a very fleeting, um, you know, existence. It doesn't last and it's not, it's not something noble or important, right. you know? And if you look at, it's like, I made a post the other day, like this post I do called Baker's Thinkings, where I just kind of write random thoughts down. And it's like, that's not a, that's not a real job. You know what I mean? It's, well, what are you? I'm an, I'm an, I'm an internet influencer. I'm an Instagram influencer. Like, are you invited home for Christmas holidays? Like, does your family want you to come around? Or are they like embarrassed? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's not a real yeah. job. It's not a real job. No. Um, but like, you know, it, uh, well, what's your full-time job? Oh, mm. oh okay. We, yeah, I, uh, we, I'm a, I'm a school teacher. Okay. So you're a teacher. That's noble. Oh, you're a mother. That's the most noble job on this planet, you know, being a mother. Mm. But I think, um, a lot of people, they just get kind of wrapped up in everything and they just, you know, that's, well, there's also technical issues with that influencer fame thing, like a, from a marketing perspective. And that's what you and I really do mm -hmm. that, that, I mean, like I do this and you do what you do, but marketing is what we really do. Um, from a marketing perspective, getting famous just to get famous, that's a top of funnel. That's a cold market. Like that's not very efficient. You, you want, if you're going to get famous and your intent if you're thinking about this and your intent is to be able to gain notoriety so you can achieve some goal, you need to get famous for being good at that thing because then yeah. you're going to have firebrand people who know you for that thing and can amplify your voice. Otherwise, you just have a bunch of sycophants or people that are liking and sharing your stuff because your ass looks nice, frankly. Yeah, you're, you're a bunch of creepy dudes commenting yeah. on your posts. Like, uh -huh. And you know what, man? Like, I would love – like if I was super rich, like I would hire a company – to track down like these dudes that comment on these girls posts mm. I, I, every one of them ever i mean i'm we'd spend 365 days on this project <laughs> and i would say th there'd be one question has these have these comments ever worked in your favor right like has ha have you ever been like oh you sure look great in that blue thong have they ever like reached out to you to like hang out or is it you just like what yeah. like, what is what's going on or i would and, like to ask have you ever actually bought a product because of this oh for sure oh yeah um, the, the, the weirdest thing, dude, is like, uh, like I've dealt with a lot of anti hunting stuff mm. in my career on social media, like a lot of like lunacy. I've been to Africa a bunch and like, I've, I've dealt with some crazy stuff and like, I, I spent a lot of time, like kind of tracking down and following these like anti hunters that like threatened to kill me or, or, you know, my family and shit like that. Um, which I think is funny. If they want to come get in a gunfight, they come to my house. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I promise you, it's not going to end well for them. But like, they all have their—they all have like a couple things in common. Like, they're from Spain or the UK. Uh, they're from uh, Spain or Portugal or the UK, hmm. or or somewhere in South America. That's where the—that's your primary hubs for like the anti-hunting world, um, at least on the Twitter world. And like, they're all cat people. I'm not even kidding. And then they all have this weirdo fetish where they try to interact on a normal basis with porn stars on Twitter. Huh. Like, dude, like, came hey, in like, that's a, that's a, I, I really like Dan. Uh, you know, that's a great shirt. I, I really like the gold over the bros. Like, that's cool. Like, where'd you get that? Mm. It's like, or, or yeah, Hey, blue is really your color. You look so wonderful. Yeah. Have a great day. <laughs> you know, I think about you a lot. It's just like, what the fuck's going on, man? Yeah. Um, but yeah, the whole Instagram, like social media influencer, and that's what you're seeing a big switch now, like the whole web three thing. Um, and it's like how to provide meaningful content and interactions with your con customer versus web two, which is what can we extract 
from mm. them. Like, what can we get from them? It was the digital, like digital media stuff. Like we want, how do we get money out of them? Right. And now everyone's sick of social media. I'm pretty sure you're probably, you don't look at it the same way that you used to. Mm. Um, it's, 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 it's so negative, but it, now it's like you're, you're drawn to the companies that do that. Oh, there's a value proposition for you there. Like, or, or the thing that I find myself really seeking out now is like really high end photographers on Instagram, you know, that posts like super badass photos. Um, like Abel Blair, who does just some epic stuff. And like, there's a lot of people that do like, like nighttime time lapses and stuff. And like, I find myself or arrowheads, I'm big into that now. So I find myself seeking out the things that actually interest me versus the things now that gaslight me. And I'm done with those. Like, and I've started unfollowing tons of accounts and I don't interact or engage. And like, I'm just sick of seeing that stuff, you know? So it's now it's like, what what's in like what are you what value is this interaction providing me the customer there's got to be something there as usual we've got a couple of ads that keep us on the air here first and foremost ghostbed.com forward slash drinking barrels right now ghostbed is offering 40 percent off ghostbed bundles where you get a mattress one of their five mattresses uh and an adjustable base and then anything else you add to that order it's going to be 40 percent off for everything else you're going to get 30 percent off if you use the code drinking bros at ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros, you get a mattress for like 25, 35 bucks a month. If you use the zero down 0% financing plan for up to 60 months, that's five years, folks. Go check it out at ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros. They got those cooling mattresses, every one of them, cooling sheets, cooling pillows. It's hot and sweaty here in Texas, so you need them, man. Uh, every mattress has a 20 year warranty. Some even have 25. You can try it out for 101 nights. If you don't like it, you can send it back. No hard feelings, but I know you won't. They've got the best pillows, the best uh, uh, sheets, best mattresses that money can buy. So go check them out at ghostbed.com forward slash drinker bros. Next up, we have Babel. Language for life. That's what they say, right? Uh, This is the best language learning software that I've ever used. I actually just got a subscription for uh, <clears throat> for Kane, for Brittany's son, he wants to learn a new language. I'm like, well, I got just the place for you, kiddo. Uh, right now, everybody's getting ready to go travel for the summer. Get out of here for a while. Take it easy. Um, if you're going to do that, make sure you bone up on your language skills a little bit, at least so you can ask directions uh, for the bibliotech and the and the turlet and stuff like that. Thanks to Babbel's addictively fun and easy bite-sized language lessons. There's always time to learn a new language before you reach your destination. You can do it en route. Uh, you only need 10 minutes per lesson. Um, Babel says that you can start having real-life conversations in as little as three weeks if you really pay attention to it. That's not a very long time. Um, other language learning apps use AI for the lesson plans. Babel uses lesson plans created by over 150 language experts. Um, you can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, and others. Uh, Babbel's speech recognition technology makes sure that your pronunciation and accent is on point. You don't sound like an idiot. Uh, so many ways to learn with Babbel. In addition to lessons, you can access podcasts, games, videos, stories, and even live classes. And it comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee. 20 days is one day shy of three weeks. So you can pretty much use this to its fullest benefit. Uh, within the within the grace period there, and you'll know for sure if it works. So right now, save up to 60% off 
off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash American. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash American for up to 60% off your subscription. Babbel, language for life. Yeah, one of my favorite accounts like that is Brooke Bartleson. You know her, right? Brooke Little Bear. Oh, yeah, I know Brooke really well. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's the only thing that happens on her any of her social media pages is incredible pictures of wildlife. That's it. Yeah, and right. Brooke's, Brooke's a good-looking girl. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't she doesn't fall into that trap at all. Yeah, she doesn't um, set it up. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, <clears throat> th- th- these are some uh uh, you know, I guess uh of weaknesses that we've allowed ourselves to to be taken advantage of through them. And I think uh the overarching theme of this is just an absence of leadership. Um because a lot of people, like oh. you said, they're, they're just so overwhelmed by all this. They don't know how to act. And, and the, the solution to that historically has been strong leadership, right? Um, people think that leadership is just giving orders, punishing the disobedient, rewarding the obedient. Uh, but that barely scrapes the surface of what true leadership is. Most people aren't in a true leadership position, to be honest, and they never will be. You know what I mean? Uh, well, no, for sure. Like in the way that we define a leadership position, but it doesn't matter if you're in a leadership position. It, it doesn't matter if you're 15 or 50. What matters is that each and every person hold themselves first accountable and then hold them, everybody else accountable to the same standard, right? And be understanding of each other. It begins and ends with discipline, right? Habit forming. A guy this morning, <clears throat> I posted the uh, principles for the show on Instagram this morning and one of them is I'll do something every day to help my country. My countrymen are all men. And he's like, well, do you think the, you should put every day in there because that's kind of a monumental lift. I'm like, no, it's not. There's literally something you can do every single day. You could hold the door for somebody. I mean, really what it does is it realigns the way your brain works. It's a habit forming thing. It puts you in a mindset to be on the lookout for opportunities to help other people. And it changes the way you think about things. It really does. I don't, I cannot think of a time in my life when I didn't hold the door for somebody. Mm. So I grew up in the South. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Mm-hmm. You hold the door, wash your hands. You be polite. You say hello. Um, yeah, there's 24 hours in a day. You can, you, if it is amazing what you can accomplish in a day, if you put your mind to it. And then, you know, back with regards to leadership, like, I think that's probably the one thing that our country is missing. So Donald Trump Jr. is a personal friend of mine. He is a personal friend of mine. Um, I voted for his dad. Uh, there were some things his father did I thought were absolutely remarkable, mm-hmm. tremendous. Uh, but one thing I did learn, my opinion, I think Trump's Achilles heel was leadership. And I think that that showed when the pandemic kicked off was and this, and I'm not bashing Trump and I'm not bashing Trump supporters, you know, like I, I would consider myself I'm a two time voter for the guy. Um, but I remember the day that unemployment numbers hit 14.4 million. It was a Monday. They announced them. And I remember he tweeted his approval rating in the GOP. And I thought, who gives a shit? Yeah your friends like you like that's what that's that's what you're offering like there's people that are terrified right now yep. and their lives are changing and, and they and it's fear of the unknown and i think that's one of the things um and there's there's certain 
uh, uh, how do I how do I navigate this without sounding without it sounding like bad? But like there are certain minority groups in this country um, that I think one of the biggest challenges they face is absolute lack of leadership. There is no leadership. Like, and there might be. I'm just some white dude that grew up in a well-to-do family that's worked his butt no, off. No, I mean, if you th- think about the black community in BLM, that's been okay. an abject nightmare all the way around, a complete lack of leadership. But there are people like Kolia Noir who talks about empowering uh, people through firearms and stuff like that. Maj Tori is another one that talks about empowering people. Like, stop depending on the state who has done nothing but dick us well, over for generations. Well, I don't think I don't think BLM was was leadership at all. I think that was just something that people could. It was it was an organ it was an organized group that that came to the surface during a chaotic time, and so people just looked to them for guidance. But like the the leaders in the African American community, and I'm going to reiterate this: I am a wealthy white guy, for lack of a better phrase. I'm I'm, I'm not I I can't even begin to put myself in their shoes. But what I see is leadership from that community is professional athletes. And, and and rappers, mm. former college athlete. Do you know how impossible it is to become a professional athlete? Yeah, it, it's like it, the it's top one percent of the top one percent of athletes. Of one percent, and then and then sometimes there's a there's a huge element of opportunity, luck, timing, all sorts of things happen there. Oh, like what position are you coming at? How heavy yeah. is the draft in that position? You know, like Michael Heil, one of my best friends. Michael was drafted by the Marlins or the Cubs and the Cubs rotation or the Marlins rotation. when He was there was phenomenal. Mm. Michael could have started at other major league teams, but he stayed in the farm system with the Marlins because he couldn't get up because their, their, their roster was stacked. Mm. But like it's um, there's just no leadership there. And then the leadership people that do try to emerge as leaders seem to be bastardized and ostracized and, and you know, made mocked and made fun of like, you, you, um, and that, I think that's one of the in 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 the Republican Party, like you know, like who are our leaders? Like I, I like DeSantis, mm. but you know the thing I've heard about DeSantis is that he's an asshole, and everyone that works for him or has worked for him thinks he's an asshole. What does that tell us? Probably lacks some leadership. Yeah, yeah. Great mm. on sound bites, you know, and good one liners. And his resume is. Have you seen his resume? Uh yeah, it's pretty good. It is. It's the best I've ever seen. Yeah. So, high school athlete goes to Yale, plays baseball, captain of the Yale baseball team, teaches a year of high school uh, history at the Darlington School, goes to Harvard Law, magna cum laude, and the whole time he's in the Navy Reserves. Is mm-hmm. he deployed once or twice as legal attaché or legal mm-hmm. liaison with SEAL Team Three and once with SEAL Team Five, and he's still in the reserves. He's a commander. So like. He's an athlete. He's a dude's dude. He's a man. You know, he's smart. No one's going to be like, oh, this guy's dumb. So, like, but is he, can he lead? And that's what I really care about right now. Like, I don't want some politician that talks out of both sides of his mouth. Yeah. I mean, he you know, doesn't He doesn't seem to flip-flop a lot, but it's not uh, – it, it isn't a great thing to hear. And, and you've seen – there have been a couple of public appearances where it's kind of flashed a little bit where he acts like a dick a little bit. And that's just something, again, like that's – Maybe one of his strengths is holding people accountable and holding the line, but you still have to leverage that in a good way and, and talk to people in a way that they're going to be able to receive that information and not make yeah, it an us versus them kind of thing. Cause leaders, 
ultimately leaders give credit to their subordinates in victory and they take the blame when things fail. Like when, when things go, when things go well, they say, Hey, you, you guys did a great job. And when things suck, they'll be like, Hey, I'm going to figure out a way to fix this. Right. Like that, that's how it's supposed to work. Um, and it's not like, I understand that job is super stressful and you know, frankly, you're going to have some moments where you act like a dick sometimes, but you know, what really impresses me is when somebody comes to me after either privately or even in front of the group and be like, Hey, you know what? That was inappropriate what I did. And I'm like, I, I, I'm, I'm learning just like all of you guys are, you know what right. I mean? Like that, that's meaningful to me. And that's some, that, that level, that's the, that's the level of humility you want out of somebody that's in power. Cause otherwise right. it turns authoritarian really fast. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I think that, uh, that's yeah. That's the one thing that we need as a, as a country is leadership. And and you don't have to aspire to be president of the United States to be a leader. Like there's leadership at every single mm-hmm. level. If you you know look at your previous job, eighty second guy mm-hmm. uh, in the military. Like what's the smallest group? Was a squad? A uh, team that squad. Yeah. How many people are in a team? Uh, three or four, depending on the squad. Yeah. And there's a leader there. Yeah. There's a there's a team leader. Uh, in charge of two or three guys and there's a squad leader in charge of about eight guys and then you know so on and so forth yeah it keeps going up and you can be a leader at, and any listen anytime there are two people in a room and a decision needs to be made someone needs to be a leader someone Correct, needs to be yeah. in charge and like you don't always and and one thing i would emphasize is do it for the right reasons mm-hmm. don't do it just so you can say you're in charge because there's t- tons of stuff like uh uh, Dan Horgan just left, uh, mm-hmm. and he went to go work for a, a beer company. Could I have gotten his job? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Is that my strengths? No. Would I have done good at his job? Parts of the job, yeah, I'd have done a hundred thousand times better than him. But there's other parts of the job that I would have screwed up. Mm-hmm. And you have to like always. I think the the. The characteristics of leadership should always anyone, even the lowest man in the totem pole, can can exhibit those and display those. But you don't have to have the title of leader. You just right. need to behave and act like a leader. That's what's important. Yeah, and the interesting thing about that is if you act and behave like a leader, leadership will find you. Those positions oh, okay. and titles will find you. It's it's in times uh, of our greatest need that average people become something different. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's, it's the necessity is the mother invention, but it happens at the sociological psychological level in small groups of people all the time. I've seen it a million times where a sergeant gets sick or breaks his leg or gets shot in combat. And all of a sudden some private takes control of other privates. You know what I mean? But everybody right. knew, everybody knew before the decision was made, if that NCO went down, who the next guy was going to be just because of how the people acted, everybody knew, right? And, right. uh, men and women with no real leadership experience routinely leap into action, ignoring their own welfare and do what they have to do to protect each other. You know what I mean? So this, this, these principles aren't just about people in the military or, or police or CEOs or parents. I mean, if you're a 15 year old kid right now and you can hear this, if somebody's getting mistreated around you, stop it. You can, you have the power to do that. You have the power to stop it. And not only the power to stop the mistreatment, but to go back after the fact, talk to the person who was doing the mistreating and understand why and try to help them too, right? Because and, it's not and, just and about – what's that? Let me add on to that. Yeah, go ahead. Physically stopping something isn't the same as stopping something. 
truth dies in darkness. So mm. if you can shed light or bring attention to a misdeed, yep. you may not be the person that's going to physically terminate it and end it. But by bringing attention to it, you're the genesis for that mistreatment ending. Right. Sunlight is the best disinfectant. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. you know, like, oh, this guy's big. I can't, you know, bullying, for example. This guy's going to beat my ass, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, you don't have to get in a fight with him. You can delay it. You can distract him. You can stop it. But eventually, by bringing attention to certain things, that's how you have long-term change. And that's how you impact long-term change. Yeah, for sure. And it's, you know, I, I think it's it's easy to reduce this down to leadership positions and titles. It, it's It's a lot harder for people to quantify what leadership is outside of those positions and titles. But the truth is there's no magic serum that causes this stuff. There's, there's no like switch that flips in your brain. It is a decision that you make to be a leader, no matter where you are. And it doesn't mean that you have to order people around or boss people around. What it means is that you, you behave and project in such a way that everybody knows that you hold the standard, right? And just by nature through human psychology, people will start to rely on you. Um, and that's not only is that a good feeling, but the more that like you, you actually inspire other people to do the same thing you just did. That's the most important part because psychology is so contagious. Yeah. Here's a good example. So our dog, Jesco, he gets walked around the block. God knows how many times a day. <laughs> But like when our trash days are uh, Tuesday and Friday and, you know, occasionally there's like a piece of trash or something in someone's yard. I walk by, I see the trash, I pick it up yep. unless it's something hideously disgusting, like <laughs> a diaper, you know, but, you know, like a, you know, uh, generally 99% of the time I will pick up any piece of trash. People see me doing that and it resonates with people, you know, like, you know, uh, it, I think it kind of draws that out of everyone. It's like, oh yeah, I always yeah. think I pick up trash. Well, you if know? you're, if you like, if we're all standing in a group and you start picking up trash, everybody else is going to start doing it because it that that is it's it's passive shame. That's what I call it. Right. And it, it's like, first of all, shame's not a bad thing. <laughs> no, uh, it's a very useful, mo just like fear and pain. The reason they exist is to motivate you to avoid them. Right. Right. To, to act properly so you don't injure yourself or, right. or run into to predators or whatever, right? Um, these are very good motivators. The passive shame, it's, it's very uncomfortable for people to sit around and watch other people work. I can't be at home. Like we have a cleaning lady that comes and cleans up the house because uh, I, I work 24 hours a day and Brittany's gone a lot. <clears throat> uh, once a week or once every other week, depending on what we're doing, I can't be there when she's doing it. Cause I'll be late to work cause I'll be picking up behind myself and stuff like that. You know what I mean? I it's, and it's, I'm not, I'm not uh, unique in that way. I think most people feel that way. My whole entire childhood, we had, uh, uh, maids mm -hmm. and I mean, that helped my mother and, you know, raise my brother and I, yeah. Rose and Barbara. And, uh, I remember we had to clean up the house before they came and I was yeah. like, Oh yeah. Mama, this doesn't make any sense. She goes, I'm not paying them to pick up your shit. And I was like, yeah. fair enough. But it's, it's, it's character. You know, mm -hmm. character is the ability to complete a task once the excitement has worn off. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that being a person of character, ethics, you know, you want your compass, your moral compass to point north. 
it's not hard, man. It's I think it, if you get in a habit of just doing good stuff, mm-hmm. like and keep a log in your head, man, it'll make you feel good. Like that shouldn't be the reason you're doing it, but eventually, like you said, it, be, it becomes a pattern. And then you know, holding the door for someone. Oh, thank you very much for that. That makes you feel good. Yeah. You know. So there's you know, it's just little things like that. Um, and I, I talk a lot about too how to respond, like how to set the tone. So let's say you're you're getting ready to walk through a door, and the person in front of you doesn't hold the door for you or does something rude or whatever it is. You have two options there. You can, well, you have three. You can ignore it, which you know, whatever. You can get mad about it, you know, and and let that make you cynical about the world. Or you can say, you know what, I'm going to be a fucking leader right here. I'm going to choose to pass on. I'm going to choose to treat people the way that I expect to be treated and, and, and hope that they do the same. So you can control in life, your attitude and your effort and nothing further. Like you can't control the outcome of things. You can't control the weather. You can't control anybody else's uh, opinions or emotions. You can control your attitude and your effort and that's it. Right. So I, I, I think it's a very affirmative way to go through life. You know what I mean? Like, don't it'll it'll train you over time to not take personal insults so personally. You know what I mean? Because oh, yeah. your reaction to that, instead of to dwell on the personal insult, is to be like, "Well, that was wrong, and I'm going to make it right by doing this," and that'll that'll immediately solve that problem for you. And it might make you feel better in the short term. It could, yeah, but that's just an ancillary benefit. Yeah, but eventually um, you're going to cure the ale. But I think I think this leadership thing is something that cascades through society. The fact that we've been missing it for so long, we can see it now and it's reflected in every facet of our lives, especially, I mean, it's, it's the most obvious in, in politics and business leadership because that's what affects us the most. But, um, well, I think the root cause of it is if you look at, so my mother was an educator for mm -hmm. 23 years in the state of Georgia, she taught fifth grade. And if you look at, it changed from, you know, like there was not a time in my life when my mother would side with me over a teacher. Right. Yeah. It never happened mm. ever. Even, even if I was in the right, my mother sided with the teacher mm. and it's authority and respecting authority because those are the people that you should look up to your coaches. For example, like the, I just saw this, the Supreme court had a ruling today on that high school coach from Bremerton, Washington. Yep who was praying after the game. So he wasn't forcing on anyone, but that's like leadership. You know, it's like mm. his guy's making a stand. He's a coach. He's an assistant. He's a head JV coach. He's an assistant football coach. But like those are our leaders. And when you start to take away the authority from those people, that's when I think the loss of leadership starts. And I think mm. it all started. It can be tracked back to, you know, uh, parents choosing to side with their children over school teachers in the eighties and when the crack babies started showing up on the scene. Um, Cause my mother never really told us about any of this until she retired, mm -hmm. you know, and like, then she just you know, tells us the whole story about how parents, well, Billy didn't do his homework. He doesn't live with me. I'm his teacher. That's work for him to do at home with you. Right. Yeah, but he's not getting his homework done. Well, I, what, what, I, okay. Well, that's why I got a zero. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know what I mean? It's like shit like that. And I, I think that's when it kind of started to break down. And then if you look at like with the way the media is and all that stuff, like, you know, especially with politicians, like it's virtually impossible. Like they, they, they fundraise off of everything. Yeah. The Biden administration's fundraising off of Roe v. Wade. 
you know, like they're, they're all, they're, it's all money. And so you have to find people that do things for the right reasons, regardless of the outcome, regardless yeah. of the outcome, you know, but nine times out of 10, man, when you make the right decision, the outcome is going to be positive. So That's true. Know. Yeah. I mean, to, to the politics side, the unfortunate truth is that people who deserve power very rarely desire it and people that desire it very rarely deserve it. And there's only one inoculation to that. And it's for, uh, uh, us as a society to embrace leadership and teach leadership at the earliest possible moments in life and uh, uh, to stay involved and not tune out, not become cynical about the process. I mean, if, if you, if, if you do what Timothy Leary told you to do, which is to drop out, right? Just drop out of the process and, and, and tune into yourself and, and whatever, then, or, or let, let's just put it more simply. If you, divorce yourself from the system that governs all of us, then you guarantee yourself to be governed by lesser men, right? With, with who are, uh, who are motivated by things like power and greed and not by goodness. And that, that's the ultimate, uh, that's the worst thing that can happen to the society. Societal decay cascades immediately from that. And once people lose faith in their leadership, then people lose faith in everything. You know what I mean? then, then you have what we see now, which I think is the budding of, of anarchy. Mm. People are angling and shooting for anarchy. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is, it sounds cool to some people, you know, like, but the end result is, is a pile of shit. Yeah. It's but not no good. One, no one, no one wants anything to do with that. Um, so no, but we've got a really, we have a great country and it started, uh, with really great ideas that needed a little bit of refinement. You know what I mean? Like adding minorities and women to the fucking vote, things like that. We made a lot of corrections over the years, but I think we still, uh, we have a very good system here and it's a system that ordinary men and women over the years, over the last 250 some years have volunteered on a regular basis to defend up to, and including costing them their lives. And that's the last point we want to talk about today. And that's principle 11. I'll live a life worth dying for. What does that mean to you? Your brother served in the military as well. Most of your friends served in the military. Yeah, dude. So it's weird. So like my father passed away in 1981. I was five weeks old. My brother was eight weeks old. Um, And today's June the 7th. My dad died on June the 28th, 1980, which is tomorrow. Uh, June 28th is tomorrow. Same day my nephew was born. But so... My dad uh, grew up in New York City. He was a shitbag, mm. a punk-ass motherfucker, and uh, got arrested a bunch. And they were like, all right, this time you go to jail or you join the Army. Father joined the Army. So boot camp, jump school. Then he went through the second Q course ever, uh, honor grad. And my dad uh, got his CIB in Laos in 1960. Uh, and I think he was in fifth group, a total of 24 years. 22 years, something like that. My, and my mother said of my father's 24 years in the U.S. military, 18 of those were spent outside of the United States of America. And so <clears throat> uh, my dad was Green Beret. He did, he did a, multiple tours with Fifth Group. He did one with Mac, Mac B. Sog. He mm-hmm. did one with Sog. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother was in the Army. And then my brother was a Force Recon Marine from 1998 through 2004, 2005, which is right before Marsock stood up. Yep. Um, and now he is a, 
a physician. He's a Stanford fellow. Um, and, you know, people ask, like, so is your brother a SEAL? It's like, no, he's a force recon Marine, but I can see the similarities, you know, mm-hmm. the untrained. Uh, and he was, and they're like, well, what's he doing now? I'm like, he's a doctor. They're like, no, no, your other brother. Because there's no way that Mitchell Levitt is a doctor. And I said, no, <laughs> I, I promise. He's a, no, I, I don't believe it to this day. But um, so I uh, was surrounded by that on multiple levels. And like all my friends were, you know, mill or soft guys. And um, it's interesting, dude, like what is leader? Your question was, what is leadership to me? Right. Uh, well, this this one is uh, I'll live a life worth dying for. But yeah, okay. an- answer both of them because I want to know what leadership. You know, what, I'll live a life. Okay, I'm sorry. I'll live a life worth dying for. So, um, so like for me, this is going to sound really weird. I was a very very good athlete growing up, my whole life. Good enough to play sports in college. Good enough to play like a little semi professional soccer after college. Um, and, uh, I've always wondered why not me, you know, like, why didn't I do that? Um, I got finished playing soccer and then got into real estate and just my career went from literally day one to 110 miles an hour in that space. Um, and then in 2000 and eight um that's when the market crashed mm-hmm. lehman brothers went out under i mean it was dude it was awful uh i lost everything uh had a portfolio of about 15 million dollars real estate portfolio lost that was married at the time lost the wife which was a blessing in disguise uh, not a disguise that was just a oh thank you jesus for that one um but uh and so I was like, my, my Mitchell had just started medical school. He's like, you should go rep 63, which is into SF through the guard. Mm. And at that point, like money, I was disgusted by money. I was disgusted by the things that drove people to money. And like, I was like, that's a great idea. So I was about 50 miles away from camp landing. And that's what I was going to do. And, you know, the guy called, he's like, you have a inguinal hernia in your left shoulder, which I needed to have rebuilt was shot. He's like, you won't pass meds. So I started feeling sorry for myself. And I was like, well, I guess I can go do defense foreign service agent through the department of state. Mm. So I started going through that process. And then I was like, well, if I had a language in medical training, that would make this whole process a lot easier. So I went to NYU to get a master's degree in Arabic and I was studying, did a uh, emergency medicine at Columbia. And during that time, um, I, uh, started a CrossFit apparel company called two food and a drink company called kill club. And what I learned was and i've always wondered like but then like the older you get like so green berets and special forces guys you know always my heroes like oh my shit this guy's green beret and what i've learned over the years now that i'm older is that there's a lot of people that were able to answer the call at certain points in their life and achieve and accomplish greatness Hmm. okay but that does not mean that they are above reproach or that once that period of greatness is over, they will continue to do great things. And so when I started applying that, it's like, shit, you know, I never served my country. Like, am I even a, you know, like what type of person am I? What would my father think if he were alive? And one thing I realized was just because you didn't serve then doesn't mean you can't serve now. So 
physically capable of joining the military and being a, a soldier and going overseas and all that stuff. Absolutely. Was I capable of physically capable of doing that? Yes, I could see myself doing that. There was hundreds of thousands of people that did that, right, Dan? Mm-hmm. Over the 20 years. Am I more valuable now to my country? Now that I have 25 years of you know, professional service and I can do a lot of great stuff? Or So the way I look at it is just because you didn't serve then doesn't mean you can't serve now. So, like, I've helped raise over a million dollars for the Navy SEAL Foundation. And I don't mean, like, you know, T-shirts and cases and 12-ounce drinks and shit. I'm talking cash. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I've raised a bunch of money for a lot of veteran businesses. I've helped a lot of veteran businesses. I work for Black Rifle. Um, and I think that you we owe it to ourselves to never stop serving. Like there's tons of stuff you can do just because you didn't, you weren't in a special missions unit, you know, for 20 years mm-hmm. in the GWAT doesn't mean that you're not capable of doing great things in today's day and age. And then living a life worth dying for, um, like I didn't, it's weird, man. Like when I turned 40 and 45 now, when I turned 40, I realized my mortality and I wasn't going to live forever. And that's a pretty eye-opening experience for someone such as myself. Like, because I've always, I've always lived in the moment and focused on what I'm doing now, right? Versus like planning for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and you start to kind of plan things out, and you start to realize like I'm not going to live forever. Like, I'm comfortable. But, like, I need to be a little bit uncomfortable because when this thing's over, like, I want to, like, uh, someone said, when you're laying in your deathbed, like, looking back on this moment right now, is this how I would have spent my time? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, like, let's assume, like, and that's the way I look at things. Like, in what I'm doing right now, if I could fast forward to me on my deathbed, <clears throat> is this useful time being spent like am i doing something that i shouldn't need to be doing and that's kind of the approach i've always taken not always taking. i started taking you know past five years which is like holy shit man we're not going to be here forever and then then the one thing that really just kicked me right square in the nads was like when i realized that goonies was 36 years ago that movie came out i was like holy shit dude that seemed like it was yesterday and like college like being at university of georgia like that seemed like it was yesterday and it's dude, it's, it's almost July, man. Like, and then September is not far away. Like, you know, like time flies, like the older you get, the faster it goes through because we're always, we're all in this rat race, you know, like it's a never ending grind and it just doesn't stop. And so like taking time to go do some stuff and like, you know, Richard Ryan, you know, it's like invest in yourself. Mm -hmm. Don't do stupid shit, but invest in yourself, man. Like do some things, like take some chances, like, because you can't take it with you when you go. And like, there's just a lot of, you don't want to have, I don't want to have any regrets. You know, like I don't, like I've got the regret, you know, not, you know, the military thing. Right. But I've come to grips with that because I'm older now, but like, I don't want any, that's the only regret that I will tolerate. You know, it's like, so like 
if you if there's a girl you like ask her out mm. if there's a trip you want to take take it go for a drive like turn your phone off you want to go to africa go to africa go do something somewhere that's out of character like just i think that once you leave the border of this country like it's an I, like, melissa and i are going to back to africa in a couple weeks she's never been and the thing that i'm most excited about is coming back mm-hmm. when we get back and like realizing how great this country is because right. there's there's people in africa like they don't worry about electricity bill or someone saying shit on twitter they don't even have twitter you know or like paying certain bills like insurance and shit like that they don't have those things mm-hmm. over there um it's just puts everything in perspective really really quickly you know there's parts over there like where people their goal today is not to be eaten you know so <clears throat> yeah those are, that answers your question. yeah yeah for sure yeah i mean it's it's actually kind of give me a little bit more perspective on how i'm going to write this chapter of the book because i've up to this point as far as uh live a life worth dying for i focus primarily on the sacrifice made to get us all here. Right. Mm-hmm. But you know, what every, what every real warrior want, like the reason American war fighters fight like they do is because the same reason that a mom fights for a kid, right? It's, it's, they looked at the, the idea behind America and decided that everybody that believes this is part of my family. Mm-hmm. Right. And, then they have these experiences where the uh, it's not necessarily unique to the American warfighter, but warfighters in general, they know like other people will never be able to know that we can only win these fights together. You know what I mean? Uh, but the thing that we, the, the best way to honor that memory is to, is to ha- enjoy your life. Like what yeah. was this all for? If you're all miserable because of something somebody said on the internet yeah. or, or what was it all for if we get so complacent and lazy that we let bad people take over our government? You know what I mean? Yeah, like what- or, or let, you know, like a lot of people um, think the, the, the definition of success is money. I promise you, I have some of the richest friends you could ever possibly imagine. If they live to be 10,000 and they spend a million dollars a day, they, they'd still die rich. Some of those people are the most miserable human beings that I know. All right. And, you know, and, and when I say wealthy, I mean, generational wealth where their great, 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 great grandkids will be wealthy. Mm-hmm. Money is not the thing that defines happiness. And if it, if, if you think that's what it is, I can assure you that that it is not it. You need to sit down and draw up a list of the things that make you happy in life. So get a piece of paper, a yellow legal pad, Draw a line down the middle. Things that make me happy. I don't give a shit what it is. Mm. Whatever it is, write it down. And then on the other side, write down things that you don't like. Don't write down situations you don't like, people you don't like being around, what bothers you, what makes you upset, and start removing those things from your life. And when you start removing the negative things off this list, you'll start to understand you'll start to realize that you're not putting time into, into these things. You're not putting energy and effort into these negative things. Mm. There's more opportunity for the positive, like ask questions, make phone calls. Like money isn't money will buy you a big ass boat and sail your ass right up to the Island of happiness, but it does not going to ensure happiness. Mm. Um, And you know, one of the things that goes back to that you said was um, 
uh, accountability and like um, just be accountable. Hold yourself responsible. You do something stupid, it's on you. Own it, you know. Um, but just start prioritizing the things in life that make you happy. Like I love, you know, Melissa and I love. Uh, I, I I I found a, a, a there was a time this season when I found myself hunting because that's what is expected of me. Mm-hmm. People want to see me out in the field. That's what people expect of me. Um, <clears throat> that and other stuff, but like you know, that's one of the main things that drives like my social media, like Baker hunting. And Melissa and I got into looking for arrowheads, mm-hmm. Indian arrowheads. Man. Um, and I found myself sitting in deer stands and stuff and thinking like, man, like, I don't want to be sitting. I want to go look for arrowheads. Mm-hmm. And I decided, fuck this. I'm getting out of this deer stand. I'm going to go look for arrowheads. We were turkey hunting this year. This is the first year in over a decade that I didn't kill a turkey. So I didn't really hunt for them. You know what I hunted for? Mm-hmm. Arrowheads. Got a massive table of arrowheads, dude. It's one of my favorite things in, that I own in this world. Um, and I started like, well, that's what we want to do. We, we were at, we were in Steenhatchie the other day, scalloping, free diving for scallops. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Hey, you want to go up to Carrollton tomorrow and go look for airheads? She's like, yeah. It's like, all right, fuck it. Fuck these scallops. We're going to go look for airheads. So it's just little things like that. Like sure. do the things that make you happy, man. Like that's, that's what I do. You know, don't, uh, don't live your life based on how society thinks that you should live your life live your life. It's your life. It's no one else's. As long as you're not an asshole and you're not breaking laws and breaking rules, but like live, do the things in life that make you happy. Because if you're not happy, if you don't love yourself, you can't love anybody else. Right. And what, what was all this for? You know what I mean? Like I, I, you you say you like to imagine yourself on your deathbed looking back. Uh, I like to imagine, uh, and it, maybe this is kind of morose, but I like to imagine, uh, not just my buddies, but just people in general who have paid the ultimate sacrifice for this. And would they, how would they feel about me being this upset about whatever, instead of enjoying my actual life? You know what I mean? And oh. it's, it, it'll, 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 it'll humble you really fast to, to think about things from their perspective. No, for sure. And like, so I don't have that perspective, but one thing that I can look at is like, you know, like, uh, we have a member of our gym who lost her father. She's 38, 37, 30. She lost her dad like a year, a year and a half ago. Mm. Full life with the guy for the most part. And uh, just down in the dumps, what was me? And you know, oh, this has been dragging on for like a year. And it's like, hey, man, listen, my dad died when I was five. I would give anything I have and everything I'm ever going to have to have a day in my adult life with my father. Just one day of conversations. You know, like it's all perspective. It's like you said, like, you got buddies or people that pay the ultimate sacrifice for this country. Like if they had another shot, do you think they'd come back to life and behave the way that we're behaving? Right. Or would they look down on us? Like, what in the fuck are you people doing this? I didn't die. For, this isn't why I went over there. And, you know, like this is, this is bullshit. Stop behaving this way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I agree with you on that hundred percent. Good. Well, that's a good place to wrap this up. I appreciate you coming today. Uh, it was a really good conversation. Um, yeah, I've got to hop on a phone call now, uh, about a, uh, about a, a, a fundraise for a company that has software that tracks, um, uh, the child sex trafficking stuff. Oh, good. Good. So if I, ha- I, was, I was looking at my, my clock and I was like, if I have to ca- call this, 
if I have to get off early, this is going to be a reason that he's going to be happy with me. Yeah, yeah. You know yeah. my stance on that, obviously. Oh, okay, sure. Cool. Yeah, but right. no, it's, it's, it's a super badass company, too. Yeah, great. Well, I'll look forward to hearing about it. Uh, thanks for your time today. Thank you all for listening. This has been Citizen. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.